So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, and there is no pasture for your servants' flock, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood before and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of my life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. May we be blessed by reading God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. <clears throat> I think my allergies are bad. Um, clear my throat, try that again. Good morning. Whoever brought these uh, flowers, they are beautiful. I, like when I looked up, I was like, man, wow, that brightened my day. So thank you, Miss Marilyn. I, the fingers are pointing to you, so thank you. Uh, just looking at that during worship was like, man, a warmth to my soul. So uh, again, um, just reminds me of God's beauty to us. Uh, just a few announcements, and then we'll get started this morning. Uh, today at 4 o'clock here uh, in the parking lot will be a uh, drive-through baby shower, 4 o'clock. So please. Uh, make arrangements to come and celebrate uh, Deborah and Lance and the new, their new baby that's coming uh, shortly, correct, Deborah? Sooner, hopefully, than later? Okay. Today at 4 o'clock, we'll celebrate with you. Uh, our baby's just a gift from the Lord, and so it's a way we can celebrate that with them. Uh, so again, 4 o'clock this afternoon. Also, there's an Easter egg hunt, March the 21st. That's at 9.30 in the morning on a Sunday. March the 21st, an Easter egg hunt for all the children. Uh, that's a few weeks before Easter, but we will celebrate and come and gather for those festivities on March the 21st at 9.30 at a.m. With that, the Children's Committee is asking for donations for candy. So uh, they need candy. If you can provide candy, see myself or Tracy or Jerry, Miss Jerry will uh, get all those um, can candy to her so she can make arrangements for that. Oh, there's a container. Uh, I'm always last to the party. There's a container for the, uh, for the candy in the back. So if you have candy, donate that way. Uh, don't bring it to myself, Tracy, or Miss Cherry. Um, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll start in Genesis chapter 47. Let's quiet our hearts before the Lord this morning.
Lord, I'm reminded of your passage, your scriptures, where it says in the stillness and the quiet you are there. So we are grateful that you are here with us this morning. Probably more importantly, we are with you rather than you are with us because you are always with us. We are not always with you. So I pray that for our hearts, our minds, this morning that we would engage you through the Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our eyes and our awaken our ears and thaw at our heart to receive from your word what you would have for us. We ask that none of us would come and leave the same, but we leave, as Paul says, by the renewing of our minds to be transformed, to be able to offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to you, to know what your pleasing will is for our life. I pray for us this morning. I pray as we continue our journey and our study through Genesis, I pray that it would continue to be a time to enrich us and open our eyes and ears to your goodness to your people, that you had promised long ago that you would send the Savior to save us from our sins, and we see that in completion now through Christ Jesus. So again, this morning we ask that you would do what only you can do. And that's bring transformation. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Just as a recap, where we've been and where we're going uh, this morning. If you were with us last week, this was the, the essence of the passage. We looked at our assurance that God is always with us. Emmanuel. We looked at it in four ways. We looked at God is with us because he keeps his promises to us. God's word is full of promises. Some that have already come to pass and some that have not. But we are assured and we have assurance that God is going to keep his promises with us. Not only is God going to keep his promises, but he's going to be with us as he keeps his promises. That God, we have a God that is near us, that is close with us. Though at times it seems that he is far away, but the the promise is that he is with us. And then we looked at he will always deliver us. He'll be with us in his promise, he'll keep his promises, and he will one day deliver us from this place. And so that's where we're headed. Uh, Again, Joseph and his family have finally reunited. We're coming to the last three chapters of Genesis. Uh, I made a mistake. I think I said we were, had been in Genesis uh, for almost, it's true, almost two two years. It will be 19 months today. Um, That that is a long time to be in God's word. Again, I pray that this passage, this uh, study through Genesis has been so, uh, as much as a blessing as it has been to study and to to receive, I pray it's done wonders in your heart. And so here we are where you have three chapters left, 47, uh, 48, 49, and 50 in the next three weeks. So here we are, four weeks to go. We are in chapter 47, so please turn there with me this morning. As you know, Joseph and his family are with uh, each other. They finally reunited, and now they're coming and they're standing before the presence of Pharaoh. Three things, really, I want to look at this morning. The three things are the family finally meets with Pharaoh. I want to look at how Joseph manages his family in Egypt. And then lastly, as a way of application, what Jacob does at the very end of his life, he makes, this, he makes this request to his beloved son. So look at, let's look at now the family 
is in the courtroom of Pharaoh. Joseph brings his brothers and his father into the courtroom. I'll read verses 1 through uh, 6, talk about that, and then get to 6, 7 through 10, and then on to the next point. This is what it says. So Joseph went and told, went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and their herds and all that they have possessed have come from the land of Canaan. And they are now here in the land of Goshen. What Joseph is doing is saying automatically to Pharaoh, hey, all of my family is here. Remember, we looked at there's 70 people that have journeyed from Canaan to Egypt to be in the presence of Joseph. And now Pharaoh is hearing about this. What Joseph is saying automatically is, hey, Pharaoh, there are 70 people that have come to this land. And I just want you to know they're, they're not going to be a taxation onto the land. They're, they have all that they need. They don't need your, your stuff. God's already provided for them. And so he says that before Pharaoh. And from, uh, and from among them, his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Remember, there's the 11 brothers. And so here Joseph is. He takes, in my opinion, the top five. He says to himself and then to his family, hey, I need the best of the best. I, I doubt that uh, Judah was in that mix. Remember, he was a wicked man. I doubt Reuben was in that mix. I almost guarantee Benjamin was in that mix. He took to the, to the top five brothers, presented him to to Pharaoh and said to his brothers, we saw that in the previous passage, hey, all you have to say when you're in the presence of Pharaoh is that you're shepherds and he's going to leave you alone. And so he presents these five men to Pharaoh and then Pharaoh says to his brothers, uh, said to the brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as your fathers, as were our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among you, put them in charge of my livestock. And so here Pharaoh is, he's been presented these brothers. He says now to the brothers, and the brothers say back to him, hey, we're, we're, we're shepherds. Remember, shepherds to the Egyptians were despicable people. They hated uh, shepherds. They thought they were unclean people. And yet we see Pharaoh pour out his blessing onto these despicable people. Just as a side note, in the text, we continue to see God's mighty hand on God's chosen people. That as despicable as they are to the Egyptian, God so richly blessed them, not because of who they were, but because of who God is. God cares for his people. God will keep his promises. We see it again and again and again. And now to where Joseph's father, Jacob, finally is presented to Pharaoh, verses 7 through 10. And then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before Pharaoh. And this is an interesting note that the writer Moses makes. And Joseph and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. A servant never blesses a king. The king always blesses a servant. 
But Jacob's able to bless Pharaoh because of his confidence in who the Lord is, not because of who Pharaoh is. And so we see Jacob's confidence again in the Lord. And he puts this blessing on to the Egyptian Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, verse 8. And then Pharaoh asked this interesting question to Jacob. But Jacob's response is even more interesting. I think it's a rude question, but you'll see that in a moment. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are your days and the years of your life? Pharaoh looked at this old man and said to him, hey, just how old are you? Remember, this man is uh, 147 years old. For the Egyptian, that would have been ancient. Egyptians did not live that long. And so Pharaoh looks at this old man and he says, hey, you sure do look old. So just tell me how old you are. Um, and so, but jo J Jacob does not answer his question. He doesn't tell him how many years he has. He tells him how hard his life is. But in response to telling him how hard his life is, he gives us three things that we can see that are true for us this morning. And so he answers Pharaoh. Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning, are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of my life, my father, and the days of their sojourn. And Jacob again blessed Pharaoh, and he went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them the possession of the land of Egypt, the best of the land as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all of his father's house with food according to the number of his descendants. The first thing that we see how Jacob responds to, how many years does he have? He answers this question. He says this, my life has been a life of sojourning, or my life has been a life of being a pilgrim. I've wandered and wandered. For 130 years I have wandered. And so for us this morning, we know for sure this. We will live a life of sojourners ourselves. We will be pilgrims. We know that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says this. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions in the flesh which wage war against our soul. We must remember, church, that we are sojourners in a land. This is not our home. And we will sojourn the rest of our days here on this planet. And then he says this, not only am I a sojourner, but I have lived a short life in comparison to his father and his grandfather. He had not lived a long life. He, his sojourning was short in comparison, which is a reminder for us, church. Our life, too, is going to be a pilgrimage, but it will be a short pilgrimage. But so often, does it not feel like we've lived a long life? Because of all the trouble we've been through, through all the angst that we've been through. But the promise from the Lord in this passage is no, our pilgrimage will be short. This is what James says in James chapter 4. What is this, your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The promise is, yes, 
we have lived a long a, a life in a pilgrimage apart from where God has called us to. That's our heavenly calling. But the promise is it's short in comparison to what we will live in eternity. The last is this. Not only is our life to be sojourners or pilgrims, not only is it a short pilgrimage, but in this pilgrimage, in this life, it will be difficult. This will not be an easy life. If your hopes to come into Christ was that Christ would make you have an easy life, you signed up for the wrong thing. If there's nowhere in Scripture that says you come to Christ, you'll live this life, and it'll be your best life now. Christ never promised that. No author in all of the Bible promises that. This is what is promised. If we live this life as sojourners in this wicked land, and we try to strive to be like Christ, this is what, Timothy, what Paul says to young Timothy. Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will what? Be persecuted. So church, we, will, we must, and God calls us to be sojourners. This is not our home. And therefore, it's going to feel like a long time. Anyone ever been on a trip and you just can't wait to get home by the end of the trip? It's like, man, those first few days, they're just not bad. But by like day four, five, I mean, for me, it's like day three. I'm like, I'm ready to get home. That's so true for us. There's something in our hearts that long for heaven, is it not? And so that's what Paul is saying. That's what we see here. Jacob is saying, hey, this has been a life, a, a hard life, a life of sojourning. But we must remember that it's a short life in comparison to what we'll spend in all of eternity with Christ Jesus. But in so doing, we must remember it is a hard life, a difficult life. I would say this to you this morning. If you are living a good, easy, simple life, first count your blessings, but then ask the Lord, how am I not facing persecution? If your life is so easy, and so great, without persecution, I'd say to you, how is it that you're living a godly life? Is the promise from God's word is this, that you and I will face persecution. Remember what happened to Job. Job was a blameless man in the time. Blameless. If there's anyone that could live an easy life, it would have been Job. He was blameless. The only one blameless in his time. And remember what Satan and God do. Satan and God have this interaction where Satan says, hey, you see Job. Job, the only reason he blesses you is because you've given him everything. If you took everything away, he'd curse you. And so God says to Satan, take all of it away. And I promise, if you take it all away, he'll still bless you. Just don't take his life. And Satan shows up and takes all of it. In a few moments, takes all of his livestock, all of his livelihood, all of, his, all of the way that he had provisions, and then to top it all off, he took all of his kids. And remember what Job's wife said. Job's wife said, hey, if you want the easy life, if you want to get back to the way life was, curse God and you'll live. 
And Job said, I, I cannot do that. And then remember, there's this conversation between God and Job for the rest of the Bible, or the book of Job. But there's this one small thing, I believe it's in chapter 46, where Job finally is questioning God, and God shows up and questions God back. That's interesting. That's my child. I'm like, okay. I do not want to shame him. I would let me stick to the, my notes. And so Job is talking to God, and Job says this after God had stripped him of everything. He says this about God. He said, my ears have heard about you. But now that you've taken everything, my eyes have seen you. My prayer is this, that we would live this persecuted life in such a way that, yes, our ears have heard about God. But through our persecution, our eyes would now say, we have seen God because God has been with us in our persecution. So let us be reminded that we live a life of sojourning in this world. Now, the rest of the text is an interesting place in the text. What happens here, for the sake of time, I, I won't read it all, but I'll make three distinct points in this passage. We go back to seeing and hearing about how severe the famine is. So severe now that the Egyptians are coming to Joseph and saying to Joseph, hey, we have no more money to buy food. And so Joseph says to them, he says, well, give me your money. If you give me your money, uh, the, the last bit that you have and have no money, I'll give you what I have. So they give him that. Uh, they give him the last bit of money they have. Then they come back and they say to him, hey, now we really have no money. And Joseph says, well, give me your livestock. G give me all of your cattle. I was telling Jenny this last night. It's the first time. This is just a side note. This is free. It's the first time in the Bible that horses are mentioned. He's saying all that they had were brought to Joseph to give given to Pharaoh so that they could live. A year goes by and they still have no food. Now they have no livestock. They have no money. And so they say to Joseph, hey, we'll give you our land so that we can just simply live. They get land and then they come back and they say to Joseph, hey, now you have our money, you have our food and our horses and our cattle and our livelihood. You have our land. The last that we have is to give you our lives. And they become slaves. The Egyptians become slaves to themselves. But they live. And they live in the land. And they prosper in the land. And Pharaoh prospers in the land. But there's three things that we see in this passage. Three things that God is doing for his people. Remember, of all the people, the Egyptians had to give up all that they had. But God had spared his own people. God had given them land and food, and they became a nation. Remember earlier on in the text, they were in the land of Goshen. They didn't have to go and sell their stuff back to Pharaoh to live. That, that Pharaoh had given the best. And so the first thing that we see is that God provides for his people a land or a kingdom. That's true for us still today, too. God has provided 
even as we sojourn, a kingdom for us to dwell in. We see this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. It may not be this land, but God has prepared for his people a kingdom to dwell forever and ever and ever with him, the king. Not only does he provide us with a land or a kingdom, he also provides us with food. Remember that in that day, food would have been very scarce. There's a famine, that seven-year famine is still in effect that God had promised through a dream to Joseph. But all the while we see that the people of God are never without food. Even the Egyptians go without food, but the people of God never go without food. That's still true for us today, church. Christ still offers us food in his kingdom. What is his food? It's himself. Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am what the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. Christ continues to provide us with exactly what we need in him. He is our food. We shall never thirst or be hungry again if we delight ourselves in him. Not only that, does he give us land to dwell in, his kingdom. Not only does he provide us food through his word, through his presence with us, but he also makes us into a great nation. The promise that he said he would do back in Genesis chapter 3, and that's what we've been following. God promised to make us a great nation. He continues to do that. He will continue to do that. We are his church. We are the great nation. He says this to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So God continues to provide a kingdom for us, food for us, and also makes us into a great nation. And then at the very end of the text, we see this. We see Jacob's main concern is this. In verses 27 through 31, but I'll read uh, simply just 29 through the following. And when that time had drawn near, Israel, Israel or Jacob must die. He called his son Joseph, remember the promise that God had given to Jacob, that Joseph would close his eyes at the end of his days, that Joseph would be at his side when he died. So here we see Jacob dying. He calls Joseph into his side, and he says to Joseph, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. He says to Joseph, make a covenant with me. Make this promise to me. That if you break this promise, it's now between you and God. It's not between you and me. Remember that same promise that was given or that same covenant that Abraham made with his servant when he said to his servant, hey, go find my son a wife. He did the same covenantal promise. And he asked him this. He says, do not let me be buried in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry out Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in, the bari in their burial place. And he answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself 
upon his head of his bed. The last thing we see is this. Jacob's last concern. And it ought to be our last concern. That we ought not to make our resting place here in this wickedness. That's all that Jacob longed for. Get me out of this wickedness and back to the promised land. Remember, that's where Abraham and Isaac and their mothers were buried, was in the promised land. And he's begging his son, take me out of this place of wickedness. I know God has brought us here, but promise me when God takes us out of here, take me with you. That ought to be our same cry to the Lord. God, allow us not to die here and be buried in this place, but let us die here and be carried into the presence of God so that we may be carried on in his promised land. And so in closing this morning, I'll ask you two questions. The first one is this. Are you reminded that you, your life is a life of a pilgrim or a sojourn? This is not your home. And then I'd ask you this. Do you believe in God's promises to you? That he has blessed you and given you an eternal kingdom. He gives you everlasting food through his word himself. And he has called you and he's called me, the church, a royal priesthood unto his own. And then lastly, would it be this? May we not always dwell in this wicked place, but ask God to carry our bones, and I mean our souls, into the presence of him in heaven. Let me pray this morning. God, I pray that we would see and be encouraged by this text. That yes, our life is short, but our life will be a life of sojourning. And in that sojourning, it will be a difficult life because we want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. And as we live in this world, God, and we sojourn in this place that is not our home, that we would be reminded that you are preparing a place for us. You have a kingdom, you have rooms that you've been preparing for us. And as we sojourn and prepare ourselves for the eternal kingdom, you offer us your food. You are the bread of life. And you promise us that when we come to you, we shall not hunger and we shall never thirst again. And lastly, God, you've called us a royal priesthood, a chosen priesthood. May we walk in that light this morning. Continue to redeem us. Continue to encourage us, rebuke us, and lead us all the ways that you've called us. May we be obedient unto you. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Please rise for the benediction this morning. Beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy of faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire and others show mercy with fear 